How you doing this morning? Yeah? Pastor Mike is away. Uh, Pastor Mike and Christine down in uh, Northern California, back sort of to their hometown. He's ministering down there to a bunch of kids. Uh, so be praying for them. And then Pastor Andrew and Allie uh, are at a wedding down in Eugene this weekend. So they had to go to the bullpen and call for the right-handed reliever. And that's me this morning. And so uh, I am glad to be here. Uh, glad you're here this morning. It's a beautiful day out there. It's warm outside. It's even a little warm in here. So uh, we're, we're excited to be able to jump into God's Word together. I was thinking, I was just listening to Jamie talk about playdates at the park and how old can you be to playdates at the park. And I was sitting there thinking, my mom took me to the park this week and I'm 54. And so you, it doesn't matter how old you are. Playdates in the park could be for, for about any age. So it's, it's great to be here. I, uh, I'm going to depart a little bit from the series that you have been in. That will pick up again next week. I'm going to hit a topic that has been on my heart uh, that I believe and, and that, that God wants to share some things with us today through His Word. And so um, let's bow together in a word of prayer and then we will jump in. Father God, thanks so much for an opportunity to be together today as church family. Lord, thank you for an opportunity to be together today as friends and Lord, I thanks, thank you so much for your clear presence with us. Um, Lord, you never leave us and you never forsake us. That's what your word tells us. And so, Lord, as, as you are here with us, Lord, I pray that as we look into your word and we think about what your word has to tell us, Lord, that our hearts and minds would be open to you, to the power of your Holy Spirit working in us. Lord, I pray that you would set me aside, uh, imperfect vessel bringing your holy word. Uh, Lord, and let the power of your Holy Spirit do the work. Speak, Lord, let our focus be fixed on Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. How many of you love to win? You just love to win. You, you know, you just, there are some people, I know it's, you know, some people, they don't care about winning. I don't understand those people, but... I love to win. It doesn't matter what it is that we're talking about. It could be sport. It could be, you know, cornhole in the backyard. It could be, some of you are going, what's cornhole? Um, it could be a board game. It could be driving. I just love to win. I love to win. How many of you have ever heard of the game, board game Risk? Risk? Anybody ever played Risk? It's, 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 it's described as the game of global domination, right? So uh, the... the you know, the, the goal of the game, you have a, a board and has the whole world spread out, different countries uh, spread out, and, and you start by possessing different territories or countries, and then the goal is to just dominate the world. You, your goal is to wipe out everybody else and take over and, you know, and conquer the rest of the country. So, you know, the, your opponent may have like they possess Australia and New Zealand. You're like, you can have Australia and New Zealand, but I'm coming from Northern Europe. I'm going to take over Southern Europe. I'm coming into Africa. I'm taking that over, and I'm coming your way, and I'm going to rule the world. That's the goal of risk, is to rule the world. And, I, and you know, it, it sort of appeals to every basis, base <laughs> competitive instinct in us. We just want to rule the world. I want to propose to you this morning that God wants us to rule the world. And when I, when I say that, when I say rule the world, I know that that doesn't, for many of us, conjure up warm, fuzzy feelings, you know, of, you know, this, is, this sounds like a beautiful thing. Because when we think about those who have tried to rule the world in the past, we think of, you know, evil dictators. 
We think of people who have abused power. We think of people who have enslaved others and hurt others and thought less of others. And, and so our perspective of ruling the world uh, comes from a very distorted perspective because of uh, our own brokenness, because of our own sin, because of our own desire for power in ways that are outside of God's original plan for us. But I still want to propose to you today that he wants us to rule the world. And um, we all want to make a difference. There is concern. You know, we, we think about how can I make a difference in my arena of influence. There's concern about in our, in our country and across the world about the church's influence or lack thereof in the world. And, and how can the church make a difference in the communities that we live in and in the nation that we live in? Uh, how do we make that difference? And I want to just address that. This morning, and we're going to be looking at this from a very global perspective. We're going to really cover from Genesis to Revelation, but hang on, I'll get you out of here in time. I want to start with this truth. We were made in God's image. Every one of us is made in God's image. No matter who you are, no matter where you come from, no matter what you've done, no matter what you've been through, uh, no matter what race or country or situation, whatever, gender, every one of us was made in the image of God. You were made in God's image. In creation, at the beginning, the scripture says, Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And he lays out this, in, in Genesis 1, it's this cosmic picture of creation, starting with this, you know, and the earth was formless and void, it's starting with this chaos, and God brings, starts bringing uh, the creation into order and beauty, and, he, and it says he separates the light from the darkness, you know. It, it uses this royal language, it says, and God said, let there be light, and boom, there was light. Because in that day, and in those cultures, when a king would speak, it would happen. You know, get me some grapes, and somebody would bring them grapes. You know, build me a fortress, and somebody would bring, build them a fortress. And it's that kind of royal language that's being used. Let there be light, and there was light. And he separates light from the darkness. He separates land from the sea. He, he creates the vegetation and the plants, and then he creates the animals. And there's this beautiful picture uh, of this almost, uh, it almost looks like this sequential picture of creation. And then he comes to the very pinnacle of his creation, and at the pinnacle of his creation... The only part of creation that he says was created in his, in his image is humanity. Adam, or Adam, which means humanity. So he, he comes to the pinnacle of creation, and, and, and there it is. He says, I'm creating you in, in my image. Genesis 2 is an interesting uh, picture because while Genesis 1 is sort of the 30,000-foot view of creation and this sort of sequential picture of creation with, with man being at the pinnacle, Genesis 2 is, is a much more personal, earthy. God is down in the dirt. He's making, forming man out of the dust of the ground. It, it hones in on this pinnacle of creation. He's creating man out of the dust of the ground. He's breathing life into his nostrils. He's planting a garden. It's this very personal, beautiful, creative picture of creation. But at the pinnacle is man, humanity. Genesis 1.26 says this. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. There it is. Genesis 1.26. And God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. It goes on in verse 27 and it says, So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. 
male and female, he created them. Every one of us he created in his image. And there it is. In ancient cultures, nations, of course, had kings. And, uh, for example, in ancient Babylon, in ancient Egypt, there were, there were kings. And in that day and in that culture at the time when Genesis was written, uh, in that day the, the kings would have the, would, were seen as the image of God. In fact, they proclaimed themselves as the image of God. And they were viewed from the people as that is the image of God. So you would walk around the cities in these in these. In, in these nations, Babylon, Egypt, the different empires, and you would see statues and monuments and idols of these kings, and people would be in awe of them because they would see these monuments or these statues, and they would see them as that is the image of God. That represented deity to them. And so imagine just being a normal person in that culture used to this perspective of royalty. Royalty is the image of God. And then comes God's inspired biblical account of creation. That all people were considered to be made in the image of God. All people, not just royalty, not just kings. All people were considered to be made in the image of God. This would blow the average person's mind in that culture. This was completely new perspective for them. So God is revealing through his authors of scripture something new, a truth of his kind of kingdom that was going to be very different than the kinds of kingdoms they had known to that point, that not just kings are made in the image of God, but every single person, you and I and everybody, is made in the image of God. But there's something else fascinating here when we think about being made in the image of God. One of the things we know from scripture is that God does not like us to make idols, he doesn't like us to make, it said, don't make any, any graven image. I mean, it's one of the Ten Commandments. He's, he doesn't want us to make idols. But there's this paradox because God doesn't want anybody making an image of him. But in Genesis chapter 1, God makes an image of himself in humanity. Our typical understanding of why God doesn't want us to make idols is because, number one, he doesn't want us to worship anything except him. But number two, we could never make an idol that represented him well enough that could capture his characteristics or his nature. You could never create an idol that could, that could capture that. It would always be a diminished version of that. He doesn't want us to make that kind of image. So... And that's true. He, he does not want us to worship any kind of idol like a golden calf. Remember, Moses comes down from the, from the mountain after receiving the Ten Commandments from God, and Aaron has formed this golden calf out of you know, all, all the people's stuff, and they're worshiping it, and, and that, was not, that was not right. And, and, and you shouldn't worship those kinds of things. But the other reason I think perhaps I want us to consider that God doesn't want us to create an image, an idol, don't create an image of God is because those images already exist in people in you and I. God's already created that image. He, how cool is that? That God says, listen, I've already done the work of creating my image, and it's in you, so don't diminish that. How beautiful is that? How much value does that place on his creation of us? It's, it's beautiful. Listen, we certainly aren't God. We certainly aren't God's. Um, but you and I embody characteristics that reflect him. We, we have creativity. We have innovation. We have the ability to, to, to think and to work. We have spirit, love, capacity for love and joy and peace and compassion and kindness. We are made in the image of God. The second thing I want us to understand is that we were designed to rule in partnership with God. That's what we were designed for. 
That's why God created us. When we think about, okay, why did God create humanity? Why did God need people here? Well, God creates the earth. Why does he, why does he create people? And we, that we typically hear, we often hear, well, we were created for relationship. And that's absolutely true. We were created for relationship. God loves us. God loves you. God loves me. God loves us. The scripture's clear. Genesis 3.16, or Genesis, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but would have everlasting life. God loves us, and he wants relationship with us. He doesn't want us to be, that relationship to be broken by sin. And so he sends his son, Jesus, to pay for that sin and to rise again to give us victory over that sin so we could be back in relationship with him. Yes, he wants relationship with us today. He wants relationship with us for eternity. So yes, the reason God creates people is for relationship, but the question we have to ask, and when we look at the scripture, we have to let scripture tell us what is the nature of the relationship he created us for. What does scripture actually tell us as to why he created humankind? And it says this in Genesis 1.26, back to that verse again. It says this, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that, underline so that in your Bible, highlight it, circle it, so that, this is, gives us, here's the reason that God created mankind in our image, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea, and the birds in the sky, over the livestock, and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. It goes on, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them. I want to just pause here for just a second. God blessed them. God blessed us because he wants us to be a blessing. In fact, when you, when you continue on through Scripture after Genesis, you see that there's some brokenness there. We won't get into all that. But he, he, he sort of starts over with Abraham. And what he says to Abraham, sort of the father of the people of God, Israel, the Jews, he, he says to them, I, I'm going to make you a blessing that through you all of the nations would be blessed. That's what he says. And in fact, he says, I want, uh, you're going to multiply like the stars in the sky, like the sand on the sea. He says some of the th same things to Abraham later that we're going to read in here that he's saying to, to Adam, that God's intent for us all along was to be a blessing to the world. So he, he blessed them and he said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, subdue it. What does that mean? What does it mean when we're supposed to subdue the earth? Anybody here have a garden? Anybody have a garden? I have a garden area. It's not subdued. So when you think of subdue it, this, he's talking in agricultural language here. So when we think about subdue it, sometimes we think of, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold them down. But what the, 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 the picture here actually is of tending to it, cultivating it, uh, feeding it so that it can flourish. That's what you do with the garden, right? You tend the, to the ground, you cultivate it, you, you nourish the soil, you plant the seeds so that that thing can flourish so you can get more out of it than existed there before. That's the idea here of subduing the earth. Right now, I didn't subdue my garden. I just mowed it. I said, you weeds, you want to win? You're not going to win. I'm just going to mow you and call you grass. <laughs> I subdued you. So um, anyway, I got distracted there for just a second. 
Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Listen to the royal language there. Listen to the, the language of rule. That, that God's intent for us when he created us in his image, he says, I want you to rule over the birds. I want you to rule over the sea. I want you to subdue the earth. I want you to increase in number. Listen, as a kid growing up, I would hear about the Garden of Eden and I thought, oh, the Garden of Eden is perfect, Right? That's the picture in my head. It's beautiful. You're just kind of hanging out in the Garden of Eden, and uh, you're just sort of chilling with God. You're laying in a hammock. Everything is all done. It's perfect. There's no sin. That was my picture of the Garden of Eden as a kid growing up and as a young adult growing up. Uh, that was what I thought. But while, while there hadn't been sin that had entered the picture yet, God never says the Garden was perfect. He said it was good. Because perfect has the idea of being complete. And when God places us in, place humanity in the garden, then he says, I want you to increase the number. I want you to multiply. I want you to rule over it. I want you to subdue it. So what that means is as they're going to increase the number, as they're going to have more and more families, what are they going to have to do? They're going to have to build communities. They're going to have to harvest land. They're going to have to, they're going to, have to help the land flourish so it can feed the communities and the people that are inhabiting. In other words, what God is asking of humanity is, I want you to continue the work that I have begun in partnership with me, that I have established this beautiful world. I've established this beautiful place that I've asked you to inhabit, but I need you to partner with me to rule over it. This is an amazing reality that God has given us the task and responsibility and the trust to continue the work he began in partnership with him. We were designed to rule in partnership with God. He created us in his image to continue the work he began. So what does it mean to rule then? In God's original design to rule meant to build families. It meant to multiply. It meant to care for the earth. It meant to build neighborhoods. It meant to, to plant orchards. God rules the world through people who take care of one another and who encourage one another and who cultivate the earth so it can flourish. That is the royal task. And what's crazy about that is that is our daily task. Our daily task is to encourage one another, to help one another flourish, to do everything we can to help our communities flourish. That is the royal task he has asked us to do. But then, of course, we encounter Genesis 3. And you're thinking, okay, Chris, you're up to Genesis 3. You said you're going to get all the way through the Bible. It's now 1047. How long are we going to be here? Trust me, we'll get there. We get to Genesis 3, and in Genesis 3, uh, humanity is given a choice. They're given this choice. You can either rule, the, rule yourselves, you can either define good and evil for yourself, or you can trust me and partner with me in the work that I've called you to do. And the choice that was made by Adam and Eve in that first choice that's pictured for us in Genesis 3 is they cho chose uh, self-interest. Self they chose their own way instead of trusting in God's way. And so sin broke and sin continues to break our partnership with God. It fractures our relationship. It creates a diminished representation of the image of God. So the story of the Bible is all about restoring us back to our place of being those who bear his image and who partner with him in the work that he called us to do. That's the whole trajectory of the Bible. Now, here's what happens, unfortunately. This is, this is uh, and, and I did this for many years. Too often we view humanity, too often we view people through a Genesis 3 lens. Genesis 3 lens is we're all sinners. We're all broken. 
nobody can be trusted. Uh, humanity is, is, is sinful. And, and, and there is truth that we are all sinners. The scripture is clear on that. But I would, I would encourage us to look at humanity through a Genesis 1 lens that we are all created in the image of God and the whole trajectory of scripture is to get us back to that place where we are in functioning in partnership with God. And if we could see people through the, through the lens of their capacity that God has created them for, then we recognize that the sacrifice and the work of Jesus to heal us from the brokenness of Genesis 3 gives us the capability to do what God originally in, intended for us to do in Genesis 1, and that is to rule in partnership with him. So how do we get back to this place of God's original purpose for us? How do we get back to this place of, of, of living life representing His image and, and ruling in partnership with Him? The answer is Jesus. The answer is always Jesus. <laughs> I mean, the good news of the gospel of Jesus is the answer to everything. Now, you might, you might think, well, that's a simplistic idea, Chris. Uh, it doesn't solve this particular issue, but I'm telling you, the gospel of Jesus Christ can bring healing and life where there has been brokenness and death. Jesus showed us what it looks like to rule, and he empowered us to do the same. So, so God asks us to be rulers, to rule in partnership with him. That's what he said. I want you to do it through loving self-sacrifice. And all through the Old Testament, we see one leader after another after another trying to do it their own way. Even people who loved God, who continued to falter and, and continue to choose self-interest over God's way. And so Jesus comes on the scene. And he says, I'm going to show you what it means to rule in partnership with my Father God. And he gives us this picture. And he came, when you think about how did Jesus come? He came without earthly fanfare into an intentionally insignificant environment, born in a stable among shepherds who were considered some of the lowliest of the low in that, cultural, in that culture. And, and he... He, he comes onto the scene and Jesus begins talking about his kingdom. He starts using kingdom language again. He starts talking about this kingdom. And, and he says things like, my kingdom is not of this world. He says, my kingdom is not geographically defined. And, and understand that, that, the, that God's people of that day, the, the Jewish people of that day, were waiting for a Messiah to come who would establish his throne and would dominate, who would rule in a physical way who would take over and could, could exercise their influence through a physical way, through a, through a social, political means. And Jesus comes on the scene and says, listen, my kingdom is going to be different than what you are expecting. It's, it's going to look very different than what you have experienced at this point. In fact, they were living within the, the, the leadership or the governance of the Roman Empire at the time. And they had been enslaved and then they had been exiled for generation after generation. So this Messiah they're waiting for, they think, they're going to set us free from this exile. We're going to get out from under the thumb of the Roman Empire because our Messiah is going to sit on a physical throne and he's going to lead us. And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. I'm going to show you a different way. I'm going to show you a power that is greater than the physical power you're expecting. And he says things like, seek first the kingdom of God. And he says, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. He touches people and hangs out with people that the religious world refused to associate with. He advocated for the poor, the disenfranchised, 
the outcast, the abandoned. He, he didn't strive for earthly power, though it was offered to him. In the temptation of Jesus, he's brought up to a high hill, and, and Satan says, look at all the kingdoms of the world. I'll give you all of these if you just bow down to me. It was the offer made to king after king after king after king uh, all the way through Scripture, and it's offered to Jesus. He says, no, 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 no. I worship, I worship God and him alone. Jesus knew that his power wasn't going to be found in earthly power. It was going to be found living within the kingdom of heaven. He said, if you, he said things like, if you want to be great, here's how you're going to do it. Start serving. Be a servant of everybody. He said, if you want to be great, be like a little child. Now, when we think be like a little child, sometimes we think innocent. But anybody who's been around children for any length of time know they're not innocent. When he says, be like a little child, he's talking about be dependent, be trusting. He says, you want to be great? Be that way. He talks about loving God. He talks about loving your neighbor. He talks about loving one another. He talks about encouraging one another. He talks about loving your enemy. The picture is becoming really clear here that this kind of kingdom that Jesus is talking about, that Jesus is expressing, this kind of rule, if you will, is going to look very, very different. And in the ultimate expression of loving self-sacrifice, the ultimate expression of loving self-sacrifice, of partnering with God, of doing what God had asked Him to come to do, Jesus lays down His life for you and I. He says, you want to see what it looks like to rule in partnership with God? I'm going to give you the ultimate demonstration. And He lays down His life for us. That's what it means. And Scripture challenges us in the book of Philippians in your relationship with one another. Have this mindset that is in Christ Jesus. I'm going to continue that. Who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God something to be grasped, but taking the form of a servant, uh, uh, being made in human likeness, taking the form of a servant, he... Uh, he humbled himself by, become by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Then it says, Therefore, God highly exalted him and gave to him the name that is above every name, that every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So here's this expression of the kingdom that I'm going to lay down my life and when I lay down my life that is the expression of how I'm going to rule. It's just this incredible picture of a different kind of kingdom. Jesus lived a not my will but yours be done kind of life and through his death and through his resurrection Jesus rules. He rules. In Colossians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul says these words in verse 15. He says, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. And then the scripture goes on to talk about how he has supremacy in all things. So there is this intertwining again of being in the image of God and having, uh, uh, having this, this place of rule in God's kingdom. Jesus told the disciples that the kingdom of God was among them. 
Jesus is walking around with his disciples. He's hanging out with them, and he's, he's saying things like, listen, the kingdom of God is, is among you, and he's demonstrating that kingdom rule by touching these people, by serving these people, by power, through the power of, this, uh, of God healing people miraculously, and he's demonstrating this is the kind of kingdom. And so when he says the kingdom of God is among you or the kingdom of God is near, what he's saying is, I'm here. I'm here. This is what the kingdom of God looks like. This is what God's reign and rule in your life should look like. Just watch my life, and this is what it looks like. But then he says, but now the kingdom of God is going to be in you. It's not just going to be with you. He's going to be in you. How is that possible? And the way that's possible is is he says this. Listen, if you will follow me, if you will believe in me and the work that I've done and the sacrifice I make for you and you believe in the resurrection, then I will give you my Holy Spirit and my Holy Spirit will dwell in you. He's not just going to be with you, hanging out with you. He is going to be in you forever. So now you're going to have the power of the Holy Spirit in you to be able to do the very thing that I intended you to do in the first place. Because you're not going to be able to live this kind of kingdom life in your own strength. You need the power of God within you to live out this kingdom of God. To live out this loving self-sacrifice. So the way Jesus ruled was by empowering others to be everything they could be. That's how Jesus ruled. What if we ruled that way? What if the way we could rule people was by empowering other people to be everything they could possibly be. What if that's what it meant to rule in partnership with God? I do believe that's what it means. What if instead of trying to dominate, what if instead of trying to get the upper hand, what if instead of trying to win in every possible way, what if we empowered others? What if we redefined the win in this way? I want to show you a quick video. Uh, You may have seen this before. It's from, I think, 2016. It is of the Brownlee brothers. The Brownlee brothers were triathletes. And um, uh, Alistair Brownlee had won the Olympic, uh, was the Olympic champion. And his brother, Johnny, he and his brother, Johnny, were racing in this triathlon. Johnny was winning the race uh, in Cozumel. And I'm going to show you this video. And I want you to just think of this question. As you watch this couple minute video, who is the winner in this race? Okay, ready? Let's watch it. You, you answer that question. Now, Johnny has to win and to be sure of taking the title. And right now he seems to have lost control of his legs. And this is worrying. Oh, and he's starting to slow. And there is a little way to go. There's half a K to go. And Johnny is running out of time and is losing he's losing his sense of direction this is worrying oh goodness me this is a horrible sight Jonathan Brownlee has lost it now and has staggered to a stop at the side of the course and Alistair's stopped to help him along and Alistair is going to try and carry his brother home Dramatic scenes in Cozumel as the Olympic champion carries his younger brother towards the podium. Oh my God, I cannot believe what we are seeing here, Matt. Is this allowed? Is he allowed to help his brother? You know, is that part of the rules? I'm not too sure. We've never seen anything like this before. Unbelievable scenes. Unbelievable scenes in Cozumel. The Brownlee brothers arm in arm 
but it's not by way of celebration. Henry Schumann's celebrating. He's going to win this race in Cozumel out of nowhere. But we have to be concerned about the health of Jonathan Brownlee. And they're not even on the final stretch yet. Schumann wins in Cozumel. The brothers are coming home arm in arm to finish in second and third. But Johnny can hardly stand. And Alistair is having to drag him across the line and pushing him home, pushing him home for second. Johnny finishes in second. Goodness me. What an incredible conclusion here in Cozumel. I've never seen anything like that anywhere in world sport. Worrying scenes all round. When I watch that video, I think, who is the winner? Yeah, the guy that cross the thing he's technically the winner we all get that but I, I i look at the brother who could have won the race he just kept going he could have won that race he grabs his brother who is fumbling and faltering and and struggling and stumbling and he grabs him and not only does he carry him to the finish line but you see when he got to the finish line he pushes him ahead of himself and then he crosses the line what if that's what we did as the family of God? What if that's what it meant for us to serve one another, to love one another, to carry our brothers and our sisters to the finish and help them to accomplish all God intended them to do? What if it meant loving self-sacrifice? Colossians 3.10 says, put on the new self. That's that self that's now empowered by the Spirit of God, God's Spirit working in you, putting, putting on the new self. And listen, which is being renewed in the knowledge uh, in the image of its creator, that new self, we're getting back to being in the image of the creator. And here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all, all of us, again, created in the image of God. And then it says here, here's what, here's what it means to, to live out in the image of God, verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with one another. And forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. That the person who is living out in the image of God, the person who is ruling in partnership with God, is a person of compassion and kindness and gentleness and forgiveness and above everything else is a person of love. He is showing us, Paul is, that Jesus, what Jesus showed us as the image of God. It looks very different than the world's definition of ruling, doesn't it? So Christian, rule the world. Rule your world. Rule your world. You were designed and you were destined for this. You were designed at the beginning to do this. And you are destined for this as well. Let's, let's talk about how we can do this as, as we conclude. Help others... And help your community to flourish. Just help others and help your community to flourish. This is what it originally meant to rule. Ruling has nothing to do with self-advancement, had nothing to do with self-promotion. It has nothing to do with titles. That's our current understanding, our worldly, earthly understanding, but that's not what God intended for us. 
Help others and help your community to flourish. Can I tell you a couple of people who I think rule their world? I'm going to really embarrass them right now. I didn't ask their permission, so I'm asking forgiveness in advance. Paul and Susan Becker, um, 25 years ago, moved from Los Angeles, California area, where we had been serving as uh, associate pastors down there. When we decided to come up here and plant a church called Celebration Center, Paul and Susan Becker said, you know what, we'll take all of that we've known, all of our security and all of our kids in tow, and we will move with you to Puyallup, to Graham, to sort of Eatonville, actually, um, and a little bit of all of that. Paul and Susan came up not really knowing, actually not knowing at all what they were getting themselves into. And they moved up here and they just began to serve and they were looking for, okay, what's my role? What's my place going to be in this church? How am I going to make a difference through this church called Celebration Center that eventually will become a church? It, it was nothing when they moved. It was, we just had a dream at that time. So they moved up and here's what happened with Paul and Susan Becker. They got involved in serving in the church and serving in different ministries and they're fantastic at that. They're currently now the in-state directors of this church, but... What they did is they started getting involved in their community. They started connecting with people in their community. They got involved in their neighborhood. They started meeting people in their neighborhood. They got involved with 4-H. That was their connecting point. These Los Angeles people became farmers in Graham and Eatonville. Who'd have thought it? Uh, but they, they moved up here, and they, and they got involved in 4-H, and, and they started meeting people through that community. And then they started inviting them to participate in our church community. And there's a couple of people that they met. They, they started inviting. And we, used to, we, we had something called home groups. It's just basically small groups where we would gather in people's homes and we would talk about things of faith and, and life. And, and so they had one of these small groups. And, and one of these families started hosting. One of these families they met through 4 started hosting their small group. So they would go to their house. And the, and the husband in this couple, he wouldn't come into the meeting. He would just hang out in the kitchen. It was hosted in their house. But the wife would sit in the dialogue, but the husband, well, he wasn't coming in. He didn't believe, he didn't believe in, he wasn't a believer at the time. So he's just hanging out in the kitchen. Well, afterwards, they'd fellowship in the kitchen, then he'd hang out, and then they'd dialogue. They'd come back every week, he'd hang out in the kitchen, he'd come back and dialogue. Pretty soon, he started migrating into the dialogue. And he started having conversations because of the relationship and the trust that had been established with Paul and Susan. He started having dialogue. He started participating in the conversation. Long, let, me, let me take a long story, uh, a very long story, much shorter. Pretty soon, not only was he participating in the discussion, he, he, he became a, a person of faith, and now he was leading one of those small groups. And he became involved in the ministry of the church. Now his kids are serving the Lord, serving in ministry in different capacities in different churches. Not because Paul and Susan had this prominent title. Not because they were dominating through their ruling of, of the community. Not because they were so widely known. But because they served people that they loved. They built relationship. They served them. And because of that, they changed the trajectory eternal trajectory of an entire family. That's how you rule the world. You rule the world by loving and serving others. 
And loving and serving others will always be more powerful than earthly position or political posturing. Let me just tell you one of the concerns I have sometimes in the evangelical church, in the evangelical world. One of the concerns I have is that sometimes we believe that our hope is found in government. That our hope is found in a governmental person or somebody in, in a political, who has political influence. Right now, we are facing a new Supreme Court justice. We should be praying for who that's going to be. We should be thinking about that. We should let our voice be heard about what we believe that should be. But listen, our hope has never been in a president. Our hope has never been in a Congress. Our hope has never been in a Supreme Court. The way America is going to be changed is not through some political domination or political power. The way that God intended for our world to be changed, the hope that is to be found is through us ruling in partnership with God and making transformative relationships with one another. That's how God intended us to rule. Now that other stuff ma matters. We should care about it, but please let's not put our hope for America or our world in some political earthly position. God never intended it to be that way. And and, and, and we need the power of the Holy Spirit to rule through loving self-sacrifice. Listen, we can't do this on our own. We need Jesus. We need, we need the Holy Spirit working in us to be able to love people in this way. In the way to be able to live like Jesus lived, we've got to have His Holy Spirit living in us. And I know that sometimes we get dry. I know sometimes we start feeling like, listen, this needs to be about me. Sometimes we don't want to partner with God. We just kind of want our own way for a while. And we sort of get distant and 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 we need the power of the Holy Spirit. And if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I would encourage you to say yes to Jesus, say yes to His purposes and plan for your life, to, to, to leave your, your, your self-direction and self-interest side that you're not going to rule yourself. You're going you're to work in partnership with God and let Him lead your life. And then His Holy Spirit will be given to you. But maybe you already know Christ. Maybe His Spirit is in you. The Scripture says to be filled with the Spirit. So maybe you just need a fresh infilling because you've just felt dry. You've maybe felt a little uh, bend towards self-interest lately. <laughs> and you want to be that person who can rule in the way that we're talking about. In fact, I'd like you to stand with me, please. And I just want to pray for you. If you just need a fresh infilling, a fresh touch of the Holy Spirit so you can live the kind of life that God intended you to live in partnership with God so you can make the kind of difference in your neighborhood, in your world, in your community, in your workplace, in your family that you, God intended you to make, I just, I just want to pray for you to be filled with the Spirit. So if you need a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit, would you just bow your head, close your eyes, everybody here. If you just need, I just want to pray for you. Just lift your hand and say, I need, I could use a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit this morning. I want to live in this kind of way. I want to have this kind of influence. God, I pray right now for those who have said, I need this kind of touch from the Lord. I need this kind of fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit. Lord, would you fill them with power that only you can give, Lord, so they could live the kind of life that you intended them to live. Lord, for those who are feeling dry in their spirit, for those who are feeling powerless, for those who have felt empty, Lord, for those who have felt undisciplined, Lord, for those who have felt broken and hurting, Lord, for those who have felt a little uh, bent toward selfishness and they don't want to be serving anymore, Lord, I pray you'd fill them fresh with the Holy Spirit and the joy of the Lord would be their strength as the Holy Spirit fills them up fresh again and gives them the strength to do. God, what you've called them to do. God, I pray this in the name of Jesus. I pray this in the name of Jesus. God, do it. 
And I pray that because of what you've done it, we walk out of here with a fresh touch and a new energy to do what you've called us to do. Could we just, could we just sing this chorus? Uh, what a powerful name it is. And then, then we'll conclude. Amen. Amen. Let me just leave you just with a little hope as you go. Hopefully this whole thing is giving you a little hope, a little sense of how, how deeply God values you. That he created in his image and he believes you can rule in partnership with him. That's incredible. Almost three months ago, I lost my dad. And uh, that has caused me to think a lot about heaven. It caused me to think a lot about the new creation and what that's going to be like. And can I just be honest with you here for a second? Not that I've been lying the rest of the time, but... <laughs> Again, when I was a kid, I had this picture of heaven in my head. And, and the image I had as a, as a young person, as a young adult, was, okay, we're going to go to heaven, and it's just going to be, just going to be worshiping all the time. You know, it's going to be, Jesus, God's going to be there, Jesus, at, at his right hand, and, and we're just going to be worshiping and bowing down, and it's just going to be this worship service, and I'm going to just confess something to you. I'm going to admit something to you that I thought uh, as a young person, I thought, that sounds boring. <laughs> but I just felt like, you can't say that sounds boring to anybody. You're supposed to think, oh, this is going to be the greatest thing ever. Part of it is because of my own naivety and ignorance about just the glory of God and just how powerful the glory of God is in, in being in His presence. I just didn't have an understanding. I still don't have a complete understanding of that. But part of it is, that's not all the Scripture tells us we're going to be doing. And I've wondered, okay, what's my dad doing now? What's dad doing up there in heaven now? Revelation 22, 1 through 5. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life. As clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life. There's a tree of life. Remember the garden? There's a tree of life again. Stood the tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and His servants will serve Him. They will see His face and His name will be on their forehead. There will be no more night. There will not be a need. They will not need the light of the lamp or the light of the sun for the Lord God will give them light. Listen to the last line. They will reign forever and ever. There's that ruling again. There's that idea of what do you mean we're going to reign for it? What does that mean? What are we reigning? We're in heaven, right? We're just chilling. We're just hanging out. Everything's done. Everything's finished. Everything's perfect. No, we're going to reign forever and ever. What that means is there's still going to be stuff to do even in heaven, but it's going to be beautiful. It's going to be creative. We're going to be, we're going to be continuing to discover new wonders. We're going to be continuing to, to expand what God wants to accomplish throughout the course of eternity. So I think about my dad right now. He's discovering new things. He's, he's finding out new adventures. He's reigning, and we're going to reign forever and ever. Christian, rule your world because not only is it your design, but it is your destiny. This is what we'll be doing for the rest of eternity. Let's start it now. Amen? Amen. Amen. Have a great afternoon. Thanks for being here. Encourage one another as you go. God bless.